This is Vladimir Bosanets. I'm one of your hosts of In The Game podcast, a show about sports, business, and the business of sports. In trying to make sense of all that has transpired last week in European soccer, I reached out to a trusted friend who understands the game really well. Chris Jones was a college soccer player, and he worked in the industry following his years playing the sport. Most recently, he is involved in trying to raise money to make an investment into soccer in Europe. So when it comes to understanding the impact of the now defunct Super League, there is no better person in my mind to ask than my good friend, Chris Jones. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Chris Jones, how are you? I'm doing very well. Good to see you again. Uh, happy to have, have this conversation with you. This is uh, essentially a sport that's entirely in your wheelhouse. So I'm looking for your expertise to tell us everything that's going on with the European Super League. So really quickly, before we jump into that, tell us your background in soccer or football, as everywhere else uh, in the world they call it. You played sports and tell us, you know, how and where and why should we listen to you? Yeah. So uh, thanks for that. From New Jersey, originally grew up playing the game, played at Georgetown, obviously, and um, uh, ended up working in the game after playing the game for a bit after Georgetown, prior to Major League Soccer being started. Had a great experience in the early days of MLS working in the game with Adidas. Uh, Went on to become a coach uh, at the youth level for a number of years. Uh, Had a deep and abiding interest in youth development and how we train players uh, at the elite level. And then um, most recently, over the last year or so, been investigating and researching uh, ownership models and opportunities to purchase teams uh, potentially in in the European football. So I've been following quite closely the developments of late. Yeah. So you are in the game. You continue to stay in the game. So this news of the European Super League, was this a surprise to you? Surprise that when the announcement came out, yes. Surprise that it's been in the works. No. Uh, Arsene Wenger back in 2009 was talking about that this was something that was going to come along eventually. Yep. Just surprised at how it ended up breaking. And by how, you mean the way they announced it or the way that they structured it or what who the teams were, what part of it? Surprised at the timing as okay. well as surprised uh, and somewhat disappointed at a bit of the sausage making, uh, the interpersonal <laughs> relationships right. that, uh, that were absolutely destroyed as a result of how the teams decided to make this move. Yeah. Backstabbing and lying, looking people in the eye and telling them one thing one day and the next day doing something completely different. That's just not a way that I operate and I think is bad for the game. Yeah. So tell us uh, specifically, you know, are, are there some examples of, of that that you have seen of uh, some of the duplicitous maybe behavior between some of the players and by players, not athletes, but players in the in this shell game maybe is the best way to say that. Yeah, well, the, the head of the European Clubs Association, you know, they came to agreement, what was it, Friday or Saturday with UEFA for the new format for your UEFA Champions League, you know, and the next day he resigns and says, hey, we're breaking off and heading over to the Super League. <laughs> That's about as two-faced as you can get. Yeah, yeah, in that short period of time also, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
So there has been some partnering, obviously, even prior to the announcement uh, of, of these teams potentially, you know, breaking off. I am convinced that they're also looking at what the NFL has done and the most recent broadcasting deal that they signed. You know, basically, they're going to be getting $10 billion a year, which is a massive increase. They essentially doubled it from, from, a, from, a, from a decade ago. At some level, I'm sure some of these clubs and its ownerships we're looking at that and saying, "Hey, we could do this with you know soccer. Why are we why are we playing around?" So, do you think was this the right thing to do for for those clubs? I was speaking to a friend of mine who's who's got some connections to the club to one of the clubs. From a financial perspective, it was absolutely tantalizing and would make sense and would establish current top clubs in the world as the permanent elite because the dollars were so significant. But of course, when you look at each club, each club's circumstances and why they would join this type of initiative were, were quite different. And so yeah. it's hard to look at all of them with a broad brush and say, this is the reason that they did it. Underlying it, of course, it was money, but it was for different reasons why each of them got into it um, in addition to the money. Were you in support of this uh, breakoff? Not at all. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I made the comment to a friend that that I could understand, and this was right in the, within an hour or two of the announcement coming out, or or not even the announcement coming out, of the announcement coming out that they were going to be making an announcement. Okay. I said, I can understand why, from a dollar's perspective, the clubs would do it. I cannot understand how this can be good for the overall game of football. So it could be good for the club, particular club, but it was not good for the overall game of football. Swift reaction from fans and prime ministers and politicians and obviously folks involved in uh, international uh, you know, soccer, football too, right? Did any of that surprise you and the sort of university, if you will, of their, of their reaction? No. One of the things that particularly in the U.S. we don't understand is the power that fans have. Uh, when it comes to football in Europe and and fans, there this whole game in Europe is built on top of a 150-year tradition. Right. <laughs> and something like the Super League, which hits at the heart of what is uh, core to that culture, which is promotion and relegation, and the ability to uh, get to the top based on merit that was never going to fly with fans. That was never going to fly with former players. That was never going to fly with the media. And the fact that the owners were so blind to recognize that, I remember reading the announcement and I was saying, there's nothing in here about why this makes sense for the fans. There's nothing in here other than a bit of gobbledygook about increased solidarity payments, why this is good for the overall game. And the fact that they missed that is stunning. It shows a lack of understanding of the game in Europe, and it shows a lack of understanding of the fan base, uh, particularly in Britain. Yeah. Are you surprised at all at how quickly this has imploded? I was. I'm just... I was. I'm sort of curious that, you know, here we are, 48 hours sort of following the announcement and basically we're done, sort of a done deal. I was, at least my initial assessment, looking at UEFA, 
the teams that were breaking off, the Premier League, I felt like they had a pretty good hand to play. And thus, I thought it could get ugly before it settled down. That was before we saw the nearly unanimous response of the fans and media, former players. Why do you think the clubs also came back and apologized? I was actually a little bit surprised about that because I felt that if you're kind of making a decision to, maybe this is harsh, but I don't know, you know, spit in the face of your fans, <laughs> then, then later on you come back 48 hours and you apologize to them. Do you think that has any meaning to them now going forward? I think that the disconnect between ownership and the fans is significant particularly for the top clubs. Obviously, most of the owners of the top clubs are billionaires, particularly when you look at uh, at Britain, most of them are foreign as well. Right. Right. And so there is definitely a feeling that there's a lack of appreciation and understanding for the game there, and these actions exemplified that. Now, why folks came out and said, I'm sorry, in part because... Well, they did it because of the fans, first first and foremost. But also underlying that, for some of the clubs, the decision was, do I, there's a group that's going to do this. I'm either in or I'm out. And what if it happens and I'm on the outside? Because this, whoever was on the inside was going to be part of this permanent elite because of the amount of money sure. that was going to flow to those clubs. And so if you're sitting on the fence near the end, are you saying, hey, uh, uh, this boat's only coming by once. Maybe I need to jump on and take it. So I do understand that some clubs probably felt like they were in that situation. So you, you feel like some of them were maybe not necessarily forced or coerced to join the Super League, but they felt that you know if this is the moment, they better take it rather than sort of regret it. But they didn't really do it because they wanted to do it, is what you're saying. Is that is that the assessment? I'm not saying that they didn't want to do it, but I'm sure what I'm saying is they they felt like rather than fight it to protect the interest of the club, that they needed to get on board with it because gosh, you know, the amount of money that those teams were, you know, that that was proposed that those teams would yeah. earn. Yeah would put them in a stratosphere that you're not going to be able to catch up from if you didn't get on that boat. That's right. Do you feel there is a disconnect between the ownership? I think uh, five of the six teams in the UK are American-owned. Only Tottenham Hotspur is uh, is English-owned. And not just to focus on the on the English teams, uh, but sorry, I think four. One was, uh, I, I believe, UAE, if I'm not mistaken. Is do, do you think that there is a disconnect? Do you think that their way of sort of thinking, doing business, just maybe doesn't work in Europe, doesn't work with a sport, a combination of those two? I think you're dealing with some billionaires who aren't used to not getting their way. <laughs> Perhaps. It's as simple, as simple as that. There's a level of, there's not just a disconnect, but there's a level of arrogance that goes with that, that feels like, hey, I can come over and I can change something that's been more or less working for over a century because, because I can. Yeah. And that, that attitude is unfortunate and, and they, they were biting the hand that, that feeds them very much, not recognizing, you know, in reality, whoever owns these clubs at any point in time, given their history, they're custodians. 
These aren't your, your, this isn't your toy that you play with. You're a custodian. You're a custodian of the history of these clubs. You can't just do willy nilly with it what you, what you want. Yeah. And, and in many cases of those cities, of those regions, right? I think a lot of uh, those people I, I identify with those clubs, not just for the sport, but civic pride as well. I, I, I like to call myself a former European, but I but I did grow up in that, so I so I do get it. <laughs> I, I do understand it. I do understand it. So, uh, Chris, as you look at, if you imagine, you know, a year from now, what what do you think are going to be some things that? And I know this is hard. Obviously, this is an evolving kind of thing. Anything can happen at this point except maybe the Super League happening. <laughs> what do you think a year from now are going to be some of the things that will have passed? Boy, that's a really tough one. Will these clubs be punished by their leagues? I suspect that the punishments will be relatively minor. These leagues still recognize that the reason these teams broke off is because they're the ones that people want to see. The teams will definitely have some relationship repair to do with their fan bases, how that will impact fans coming back into the stadium, you know, merchandise sales and the like is still to be determined. Sure. Obviously, but I think, I think you will probably see a significant amount of effort beyond just the, I'm sorry's to, uh, to try and make up for that, that bit of lost equity with your own fan base. And then, in terms of within European football, UEFA, Champions League, Europa League, and the like, they'll end up getting more of what they wanted, which was basically already agreed to. And and I think they will probably make it take the responsibility to actually try and increase the overall dollars coming into UEFA so that it can be distributed back to them. I mean, that's yeah. functionally what they were doing by yeah. going out and, you know, getting JP Morgan, whoever it was, you know, come in with billions of dollars. Hey, that money should still be out there. These clubs have a responsibility to try and now help make the Champions League and UEFA much bigger and stronger. I'm curious also to see if um, some of these owners are going to, you know, try to exert some political pressure on UEFA, whether directly or indirectly by, you know, putting their own people inside the organization and things like that. And I'm curious to see sort of how that plays itself out, because as you and I know, that's a, that's a very interesting organization and these sort of pan-European kind of sports uh, bodies tend to, uh, you know, end up doing some, you know, funky stuff, at, at, yes. you know, every every now, now and then. So I am curious to see if that becomes um, part of the part of the fabric. I think that's going to be really difficult for these clubs in large part because of the way that they went about this. They've yeah. taken an integrity hit. And so even in in England, the fit and proper test for ownership you know, if you were to evaluate these clubs based on the letter of how that is supposedly assessed, they all have lacked integrity in this process and would not, by letter of the law, pass that. And so the idea that now they can go into, you know, UEFA and speak credibly with integrity and, and start asking for things that they that they probably could have gotten through negotiation more negotiation i don't think that's going to happen now i think they they came for the king and they missed their shot 
<laughs> yes, they did. I think they did. Well, uh, before we close off here, Chris, uh, kind of a personal question. Do you have a favorite team in Europe? Oh, I've been a long time, now long-suffering Arsenal fan. So <laughs> I was quite disappointed in, in my club and my WhatsApp from uh, from the U.S. to Australia to, to the, London was blowing up all, all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Arsenal was one of the teams that joined briefly this uh, this initiative. So excellent. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with us, Chris. We'll be in touch. Stay safe. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. We know that if you're listening to this show, we know that you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends and your family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. We'll be in the game with you in a few days with our new episode.